Welcome to Literary Friction. I'm Octavia Bright, still coming to you from quarantine in London, um, here by the grace of the internet and my very perky mic with my treasured co-host Carrie Plitt, who's beaming in from Oxford. Hi, Carrie. How are you doing? I'm beaming in and beaming to see your face. Ah, there she is. I can see you in this lovely little square on FaceTime. It's very... Inadequate, actually, but it's better than nothing. <laughs> totally inadequate. And I'm afraid I haven't really dressed up for you today. Me neither, babe. I'm in my pajamas, let's be honest. <laughs> As am I. <laughs> With the sweater over it. That it's, makes it's it look liberating. a bit more pro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like we've sure. been at a sleepover or something. It's great. Oh, that would just, it, that would be the nicest thing ever. It really would be. But anyway, I am okay. I've definitely, I definitely feel a little more settled into the strange new life since we last spoke. Before, I think I was just adjusting and trying to figure out what it was like. And I feel more calm now. I'm still up and down, but I'm trying to take away some positives from the experience. Um, I'm a very social person, as anyone who listens to this podcast probably knows. And I, and I was actually quite terrified about the prospect of, of months of just not being able to see anyone else besides my partner. But I have to say, I haven't minded it as much and have really appreciated the time to spend with myself and just having a slower pace of life. And I hope that I can take that back into the world and not feel this sort of restless need to always be out and always seeing people and always socializing and always planning my days in this really structured way. How about you? Yeah, I'm weird, but I'm okay. I mean, I'm finding time a bit of a mind bender, but I usually do anyway. So it just, it's kind of stretched even further into this weird sort of hinterland. I mean, I've definitely found it weird how um, a part of me has found a way to adapt this kind of new regime way faster than I'd have expected. And actually the like new normal adjusts um, subtly, right, for you internally in ways that you don't necessarily imagine but then there are other bits of me that are just resisting 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 like I miss my friends I miss my family I'm really irritated by my lack of freedom I have to like handle my impulse to rebel daily Um, but I also believe firmly that we should be doing the right thing and so it's not that hard but it's just within me you know like I have a rebellious nature which means I'm not great at, at doing what I'm told all the time But I am enjoying my growing quarantine softness, you know, it's making me very tender physically and emotionally. I'm softer than ever all around. And there's some real pleasure to be found in that. And like you, yeah, just kind of embracing the things about it that are positive where I can really. But I have to say it's a struggle. I don't find it that easy to sink into it. Yeah, I love that idea of softness, actually. I know what you mean. I'm feeling much more tender. I'm just feeling very joyous and deeply emotional about the arrival of spring and very sensitive to it in a way that I don't think I ever have been before, for instance. That's interesting. Yeah, it's something that always, because I suffer so badly from SAD through the winter, the arrival of spring always sends me a bit loopy, actually. But you know what's interesting? Normally, it hits me like a euphoria because I'm, I'm always like, by the end of February, I'm like, now or never like I'm not gonna live if it doesn't come and this year because of the situation it hasn't been a euphoric hit at all it's been it's been gentle and quite philosophical I suppose I mean it's quite it is it's an enforced enforced kind of philosophical time I think in a lot of ways Mm. but let's be real it also fucking sucks and I'm ready for it to be done (laughs) (laughs) oh oh yeah no I'm not wishing for any more of this but (laughs) know trying to see the positive yeah yeah it's important to do that 
So this is Minisode 13. I can't believe we're here. As ever, please bear with us on the sound quality front. We're not quite in our closets, but it's all pretty makeshift. And Octavia's upstairs neighbor, as I have heard, has recently started learning the recorder and might burst into tune at any moment. It's like intolerable. (laughs) But we'll figure it out. And whether you're new to the show or an old hand, welcome. Thanks for tuning in. The format for these mini-sodes between full shows is, for the next half hour-ish, we'll first have an informal conversation about something book-related and anything else that might come up, and then recommend some other cultural things that we've enjoyed lately, with the usual musical interludes chosen by Eddie. That's right. And maybe because we're missing our loved ones, our friends, but also actually... I'm missing acquaintances, man. I'm missing the thrill of new connections, encounters with strangers, you know, populations, communities, like the people who work in the corner shop, the people that I bump into in cafes, you know, everything. But I'm also still struggling to actually focus enough to read properly. So we wanted to talk about the characters from literature that have stayed with us long after finishing the books themselves, the ones that already thrive in our subconscious. And so we're going to ask questions like which literary characters would be good quarantine buddies, which would be full blown nightmares, who has been unforgettable for good or bad reasons. I think we just we're needing to keep going inwards because we can't really go outwards right now. Yeah, totally. In this very strangely liminal time where our imaginations and subconscious minds have been sent into overdrive, we're staying in because we can't go out. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. (laughs) (laughs) So stay with us for the ghosts of readings past, plus all the usual recommendations. This episode is sponsored by Picador Books. In this time of social distancing, we are using the internet more than ever to find connection. And this can be wonderful, but it can also be overwhelming. It can be exhausting keeping up with notifications, and there's a tendency to fall into a pattern of anxious scrolling. I certainly do that. Our sponsors, Picador Books, have got you covered. To try and provide some relief from social media overwhelm during lockdown, they have created Picador Unplugged, a series of activities designed to take you offline for a short while. So far, there has been a free audiobook of a strangely imaginative Julia Armfield story taken from her collection Salt Slow, which could be listened to on your daily walk, and a free audiobook of a brilliant Olivia Lang essay, The Future of Loneliness, which explores how technology both unites us and makes us lonelier, which is the perfect prompt to consider how we're using the internet in this socially distanced time. Later this week, there will be a specially curated playlist from author Garth Greenwell, and there are lots more activities to come. Head to Picador's Instagram profile, at Picador Books, and look at the unplugged highlight to see all the activities so far. Enjoy. Hello, welcome back to Literary Friction, Minnesota 13, where in the absence of an outside world, Carrie and I are going to go inside our minds to find the characters that are still thriving there. Like everyone, we've been missing our friends and families, and I don't know about you, Carrie, but I've started to have this really weird experience of reality and unreality merging into this strange hinterland where it almost feels like the people I love are basically becoming fictional in my mind, because it's been so long since I was with them physically, and there's this kind of false proximity that's brought around by all of the screen time that we're sharing, but I'm losing my grip on the reality of people because I can't touch them. And I'm normally 
very tactile and connected, you know, to the people I love in that way. Um, and then I've noticed that similarly, that the fictional characters that I've absorbed over the years have started to feel more and more real because this weird flattening out is happening and the balance is tipping. And I'm like, what is time? What is flesh? What's reality? <laughs> um, so we wanted to think about this like strange interaction between the imagined people that our subconscious gets populated with through the literature that we read and then also how we relate to them. Um, but it's also partly inspired by those memes I'm sure you've seen during the rounds. Um, choose your quarantine house where you're offered six houses to choose from made up of five different celebrities or politicians or writers or whatever. And the literary ones, I have to say, I've not seen a single option with at least one giant douchebag, wife beater, misogynist asshole in the mix. I don't know why, but the the pickings have been very fucking slim. But anyway, we'll get to that. Let's start with a more general question, which is what makes a character stay with you? It's a very good question. Just a comment on those memes. They annoy me only because it's just some random person deciding on these categories. And it's yeah. like, how have you decided on this? I feel like usually they throw a douchebag, douchebag, <laughs> a big douchebag into the mix just because they think it will be interesting and, and create something for people to argue over. But yeah, so I, I mean, don't seriously, I to... Why is Norman Mailer showing up on anything ever? I know. I know. <laughs> it's because people like the idea of annoying people with the idea of Norman Mailer, I think. Yeah. Come the fuck on, everyone. Do better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do our own quarantine house meme. No, I don't have time for that. Um, maybe I do, actually, but I really don't want to do it. Yeah. And I know what you mean about people in our lives becoming kind of fictional. I mean, I wouldn't say maybe fictional, but I've started to think of people as their embodiments on a screen, which is so different from how they are in real life. And that does make them more sort of filmic in this way that is is very confusing. And they become more characters when you don't see them in the round or in the flesh. So yeah, it's a weird time. What makes a character stay with me? We've spoken about this before laterally in other shows because I think you and I have very, very different reactions to books when it comes to questions like these. My relationship to literature and, and fiction in general, actually, is just more abstract. Fiction seems very real to me often, but I think what I'm responding to is sort of moods or worlds or ideas or relationships. And so... I ha we, we talked about this when we talked about characters we have crushes on. I, I don't really crush on characters in literature. And also, I don't really think about characters in literature beyond the context of their own worlds. They don't really bleed into my own world in the same way that I think they do in yours, which I don't know what that says. Maybe I'm just not as imaginative or something. But no, it's no, just it's not just the way I engage way. with fiction. Yeah, it's just a different way in, I think. Well. I, it's a different way in, but I'm I'm sort of jealous of the way that you take fiction into your world. I think it it gives you a really rich experience of reality. It does. It's also quite stressful sometimes <laughs> because if I'm reading a book about something very dark or very complex, it tangles up in my own interpretation of reality, and it can be heavy. You know, I don't yeah. feel like I'm as free as you are to stumble into every possible different world and come out unscathed basically and that's something I really envy you for you know like there are for sure books that I've stayed away from as a way of protecting my psyche which I wish I didn't have to do because I'd love to read them but at the same time maybe I've walled myself off from like a depth of emotion of experience that you're able to access 
I mean, I can break those walls down for you, baby. (laughs) (laughs) You do every week, don't you? Um, (laughs) But that being said, I I, I did want to answer your question. Um, And I do think that certain characters have stayed with me more than others, even if I can't really imagine having a conversation with them or how they would live in our contemporary world. And for me, I often find that those are characters where the author or the narrator actually has made a project of really trying to explicitly capture their minds, their being, their psychology. Um, And so I think that's one of the reasons why I really respond to modernist fiction and sort of stream of consciousness. I talk about Mrs. Dalloway a lot, and I think she's one of the enduring characters of literature. I mean, I didn't enjoy the experience of reading Ulysses by James Joyce as much, but I think about Leopold and Molly Bloom all the time. And there's a reason for that, because the project of that fiction was partially to understand their minds. But also... Dorothea Brooke and Middlemarch, which again is a book that's trying to get at all angles of a number of characters, but particularly Dorothea Ephemelu in Americana, again, a, a book that is so obsessed with giving you a portrait of this rich character at its center. Um, Eileen by Atessa Mushfeg, The Butler, Stevens and the Remains of the Day, and of course, Olive Kittredge, which is a really interesting fictional project in terms of finding a character, isn't it? I seem to be very interested in intense women. I would say that plays out in your real life also. Yeah, you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm interested in you. What about you, Octavia? Tell me. Well... I think these days, and this is this has changed over my reading life, but these days it's usually about having a strong reaction either for or against a character. Like I think I'm pretty guided by desirability and I don't necessarily mean sexual, but, but there has to be a bit of chemistry between me and the character on the page um, for them to take root in my mind, which is a bit of a jumble most of the time, even if that chemistry is negative and it's just that they get under my skin um, in some way. I think also in general, I'm drawn to characters who live in a way I admire and would like to live myself, but maybe I'm not brave enough to actually do it or not willing enough to leave behind certain bourgeois comforts, even though I wish I were, you know, more radical or more messy or whatever. So characters who are a bit wild or really don't give a fuck, I find appeal to me and live within me because, because part of me identifies with them, but then I know that I'm not really that bold. You know what I mean? Um, So like Boris from Donna Tartt's book, The Goldfinch, really stuck with me because he's essentially a bit of a reckless maniac, but he's so joyful and he's so alive and vital in a way that, um, you know, reality doesn't feel that vital all the time. And I think there's a part of me that wishes it did, you know, like it's, uh, Mm. it's kind of the addict tendency within me that wants to feel good or excited all the time. Um, So that's, I think I'm drawn to characters who live in quite extreme ways. Or like recently Paul Polydorus from Paul Takes the Form of a Mortal Girl, who's just led by their libido and can gender switch at will and just kind of has this phenomenally sensual and extreme experience of the world. And actually Virginia Woolf's Orlando for the same reason, which was partly an inspiration for Paul Polydorus. But also Behemoth I've talked about before from Bulgakov's The Master and Margarita, who's just this like naughty talking cat who does bad things with the devil, but like is fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I do, I feel drawn to those characters, but they also kind of stress me out. Like the good girl in me is like, I almost don't want to let those characters just go wild and fuck things up and like 
there's a messiness to that way of living that both excites me, but also just makes my heart race <laughs> in not an always pleasant way. Well, that's the thing, right? They're, they're, they're able to go so far because their worlds are not real and we can be interested in the chaos they create, but it's still kept at a safe distance. But I've always been drawn to that kind of chaos and and I don't live in that way anymore. And so I think there's a bit of me that's still like, oh, but imagine, you know, imagine mm. if we just fucked mm. it all up. But then also sometimes circumstances trigger a really, really powerful memory of a character that I'm maybe not thinking about all the time, right? Like we're always in relation to the way we're living. Um, so right now I've been going for walks at nighttime in my neighborhood if the day has felt too stressful to be out. And I've started to hear the opening lines from Under Milk Wood by Dylan Thomas in my mind. Even though I'm wandering the streets of North London, which are not at all like the fictional Welsh fishing village of, um, now I never know quite how he wanted this to be pronounced, Laragub, Laragub, which is bugger all backwards and it's meant to be said in a Welsh accent, which I really can't do. But anyway, which is where this poem or play for voices is set. And I think it's because the atmosphere of a community asleep feels the same and I've never in my life been more aware that behind every window I walk past is a person a consciousness than I am now because we're having this extremely unified experience even though completely separate and obviously completely different person to person do you know what I mean there's like a sense of uh, a local consciousness and a shared community consciousness for the first time Um, and I'm somewhere where I don't know my neighbors yet because I only moved in really soon before the lockdown um also, it's spring, which is when Under Milkwood begins. So I'm, I'm going to read the opening because it's it's beautiful. And also it's just, I don't know, I found it evocative. And I wonder if, if everyone else might as well. It goes. It is spring, moonless night in the small town, starless and Bible black. The cobble streets silent and the hunched, quarters and rabbits wood limping invisible down to the slow black, slow black, crow black, fishing boat bobbing sea. The houses are blind as moles, though moles see fine tonight in the snouting velvet dingles, or blind as Captain Cats there in the muffled middle by the pump and the town clock, the shops in mourning, the welfare hall in widow's weeds, and all the people of the lulled and dumbfounded town are sleeping now. I just, do you see what I mean? And the idea mm. of like shops in mourning in this, I'm in London, so the city is just shut down. It's it's empty. It feels grief stricken in some way, but also just like we've had a spell cast on us and we've all gone to sleep, you know, it feel, I'm, I feel like we're in a kind of fairy tale reality. Yeah. And there's such a, a feeling of waiting and suspension there that I think is is what the world feels like right now when we all in ourselves feel like perched on the edge of something yeah exactly it feels like quite a poetic register to be living in in a lot of ways um or at least that's where my brain's going because because the magnitude of the reality is kind of too hard to take in in one go so yeah I've been thinking about the characters from under milkwood and kind of remapping them onto my neighbors <laughs> and when everyone comes out for the clap for the NHS on the Thursdays I look at them all and I'm like which one of you is Captain Cat and which one of you is you know Mrs. What's a Chops with the two dead lovers and blah 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 so that's been keeping me entertained you know yeah yeah we live across the street from a rectory and uh and I've been feeling that the rector and his wife are very literary characters actually they're very into the clap Oh, I bet they Good are. Good on them. Good I also on them. just love the fact that it's called the clap, which is also a venereal disease. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is both a time where 
I haven't totally formulated this idea yet, but I feel that we're in a time of like intense earnestness, but intense irony. And the two are meeting in really weird ways, um, especially on the internet right now. I just like can't get my head around what register we're living in. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I think you just have to let yourself free fall, you know, be earnest when clap. you need to. Yeah, free fall into the clap. The clap. In right. all of its meanings. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, my next question is, um, which characters from books that you've read can you imagine spending time with in general? Well, as I mentioned before, maybe this is a harder exercise for me because I don't really imagine myself ever interacting with characters in fiction. It's just not something that I do. But I will play along for the purposes of this podcast. <laughs> I just want to make you sweat, girl, that's all. <laughs> the characters that do seem very alive to me in my life, just because I've read the book so many times and they're such a cultural touchstone, are the characters in Harry Potter. So I'm afraid yeah. that is what I immediately thought about. And I immediately thought about Hermione Granger. I think she'd be really good to spend time with. She's very principled. She's interesting. She's smart. She does magic. She could show me magic. She'd keep me on my toes. I feel like you also identify with her. So this yeah, is like... I obviously do. <laughs> this is like smart, a beautiful <laughs> little trip into your narcissism. <laughs> I just want to hang out with like me, but like with magic. Like I want me, but with magic. <laughs> Who's to say I don't have magic? Octavia. Oh, sweetie, you have plenty of magic. <laughs> Let's not worry about that. <laughs> okay, so um, Hermione for sure. Yeah, Hermione for sure. If Melu from Americana, who I mentioned before, again, because I just feel like she'd be a great friend. She'd be a good person to hang out with. She's like interesting, principled, has ideas, like would play off you, would be energetic and a joy to be around and then from a more recent book that I read and and actually who we featured on the show the last show I was thinking I would like to spend time with the protagonist from Jenny Offal's Weather Lizzie totally she seems so she's so wry she's funny she's very down to earth and by the end of the book as we spoke about in our last show she really come she has this transformation where she starts thinking about okay how do i respond to disaster how do i stop just feeling panicked and not being able to do anything and i would love to meet her after that transformation and like almost have her help me think through my own transformation yeah big time she's so funny as well <laughs> Yeah, so funny. And it's, I, I looked back at that list and I was like, I can't think of any fictional men that I want to spend time with. <laughs> I really can't. It's a very good point. It's a very good point. I'm also drawing a blank. I mean, really a blank. No, wait. Um, Little Dog from Ocean Vuong's On Earth with Briefly, Briefly Gorgeous mm. would be a wonderful person to hang out with. He's, he's a really beautiful character, very thoughtful, very sensual, but also like playful you know and has a lot of depth I think he'd be I think he'd be good so he's okay. allowed okay other than yeah. that though <laughs> I'd like to hang out with Lyra Balakwa from Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials trilogy not that I imagine she'd be up for respecting lockdown rules if we were hanging out right now but I love how bold and headstrong she is um you know she's really adventurous but she's also kind of fundamentally on the right side of things and I think that 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 would be fun but maybe that's Lyra is such a good shout. Yeah, I think also because, you know, a bit like with Hermione, right? Like those were books that we read 
when we were at a comparable age to the characters in them. So that like identification happens really strongly. I mean, I'm not at all like Lyra Balakwa and I don't really identify with her. I wish I was more like her, but I'm not. But I feel very bonded to her, you know? Actually, and I think children's literature has a less complicated relationship with character and identification because you're meant to identify with those characters and you're meant to be comforted by them in the way that I think a lot of the novels that we read as adults it's more complicated than that yeah totally and we're bringing a more complex consciousness of our own to the reading experience so there's a lot more places for things to go wonky or intersect in surprising ways I think okay so next question is who would you want to quarantine with yes this is an interesting question because who do I want to live with for a sustained period of time? I mean, not that many people. And it would have to be someone who you could have a lot of fun with, get along well with, like who would stimulate you, but also who would give you your own space and not just be too domineering a presence who would just annoy you after a while. They'd also have to be very respectful and like, you know, do stuff around the house and clean and things. So oh, getting yeah. back to that men question, like when I was thinking about men in literature who I'd want to quarantine with, I was like, they would all expect me to cook for them <laughs> and clean the house. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, Mr. Darcy. And then I was like, Mr. Darcy would be sitting on his fat ass, like demanding cheese snacks or whatever. I mean, Mr. Darcy would be one of the more stressful options. Can you imagine being with someone who's like emotionally shut down, really fucking remote, but also like longing for you? Horrendous. Horrendous. Also, he would just (laughs) um, give you like morality lectures the whole time while you made him his cheese sandwich. Possibly. Yeah. I don't know. Or he might have a breakdown. I mean, who knows? Oh my God. True. Darcy. Yeah. Darcy in quarantine. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, maybe the other half of that equation is appealing, Lizzie Bennet, although I know you're not a fan in general of Jane Austen. I mean, or I... Lizzie Bennet. but I do hear me out here. Like she's been made to be very skilled at household things. She would sew you an amazing quarantine mask. She can play the piano and sing. She's probably a pretty good cook. Like she'd be good at all that stuff. She could be but a very traditional wife. <laughs> No, but she would like question those things while helping you do them, you know, because she's non-traditional. She loves going on brisk walks. She loves ideas. I think Lizzie and I would have a great time. And I could ask her what it was really like to live in the 1700s in England. Yep, she definitely I could baffle her with the technology of uh, Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. Yeah. But then I was thinking about it. I was like, okay, how long is this quarantine lasting? Because if it's just me and this fictional character, I would maybe think about throwing some men into the mix (laughs) for (laughs) other reasons. Maybe Jamie from Outlander or something like one of those like romance novel men who are like very pliant, but also super sexy, who would just like be there for your needs. amazing amazing and I feel like maybe Jamie I don't know I feel like maybe Jamie would be good at helping out around the house I've not read it I read the first book it's very it's um kind of ridiculous but really great but he's hot he's super hot yeah how about you Octavia well I don't know I was thinking Reno from Rachel Kushner's novel The Flamethrowers Ooh, 
yeah. Because we'd be out in the Nevada desert together and we'd ride her motorbike and make huge pieces of land art still maintaining social distancing because there's no one fucking anywhere. <laughs> um, and from what I remember, she's pretty independent. So I think she'd understand that at times, you know, there are times for hanging out, there are times for taking space, lots and lots of space. And then I was wondering, would it be fun or depressing to quarantine with Gatsby in that big old house? Like ultimately it would be pretty depressing because he's a mess but maybe fun for a minute you know until he couldn't keep up the show and then the curtain would fall and you'd be stuck with with what's left behind which is complex and sad I don't know yeah it's interesting what is Gatsby without his lavish parties you know would he just probably pretty boring the whole time a man of many shirts and not much substance well if he opened up to you though he's had a very interesting life you know his, his ambition and life story is um is fascinating yeah, and yeah. And you could go swimming in that pool. Yeah, but maybe he would just be, um, like you said, maybe he'd just be pining the whole time, which would be incredibly dull. I mean, if yeah, I was going to go for a, a man for other reasons, um, I might choose Seth from Cold Comfort Farm and we would just be mollicking the whole time and that would be fine. What is mollicking? I'm going to leave that up to your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> Reno is a very cool choice and I feel far cooler than Lizzie Bennett. So... <laughs> Maybe I'll take that. Although I worry that with Reno, I just wouldn't be cool enough for her, you know? I mean, I don't think think I'd be cool enough for her either. I think I'd be a little bit intimidated by her, which would not lend itself well to like being in a house with someone. But maybe that's the time when the cool facade comes off and you both reveal your true selves and become deep artistic friends through Yeah, I think it'd be fun. I also just want to get into this, Octavia. Hey, characters in our lives. See, it's great fun. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Um, the next question is very obviously, who would you hate to quarantine with? And I literally, when I thought of this question, the first person that came to my mind was Mrs. Bennett from Pride and Prejudice. So, you know, it's funny that you were thinking about Lizzie, but can you imagine (laughs) what it would be like to be stuck in that house with that woman she would just talk at you all the time yes and nitpick you and harangue you for not being married yet or whatever the fuck it was then my next thought was the narrator from Otessa Moshfeg's book my year of rest and relaxation because she'd just tap out on drugs so you'd basically be alone but with the responsibility of a comatose person on your hands um unless yeah, of course she would share. wake up once in a while and go to like art parties that were totally against the quarantine right exactly to to her and it would be terrible yeah. it would be awful and then you know you try and lecture her about not respecting the rules and she'd just pass out again although I was thinking <laughs> unless she'd share her drugs in which case maybe you could just double coma and it might be a good way to pass the time I don't know do you want that though that I no. I found that the idea of that book so unappealing there was something in it that really appealed to me, but it was not a voice that I want to listen to. You know, it's not a path that I want to follow. But there is something that appeals to me in checking out, sadly. You know, I don't think it's a good thing, but it's there. I think that's um, good to acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it, it's it's a, it's an impulse that one lives with if one has it, you know. You know who else would not be high up on my list? A Miss Havisham and a Stella. <laughs> mm, yes, that would be difficult. It would suck. For a also, number of reasons. every Hemingway character, anyone yeah. written by Martin Amis, Humbert Humbert. Can you imagine being quarantined with Humbert Humbert? No. Kill I mean, me. Yeah. Or Updike's Rabbit Angstrom, who would just be breaking the quarantine rules to go and see his lover, and it would be a hell thing. I mean, I, that is something that I've been thinking of, actually. All the people out there, and I've seen a lot of this on Twitter as well, who are running secret families. How are they coping? 
in this quarantine situation? I just want to see, like, after this is all over, an investigative report about all of, like, those kinds of situations and what actually happened. And it will never, and it, and we'll never get to see it because, of course, people can't talk openly about these things. But it's so fascinating to think about. So fascinating. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I know. Weird. Weird thinking. The other ones I was thinking was all the characters from Brideshead Revisited who would do my nut in. Um, don't get me wrong. Like, I loved that book when I read it, but also come on guys um and the other one that would drive me up the wall would be Anne of Green Gables because I do not want to be locked up with a wholesome ingenue right now I just don't like it would suck so bad I, I feel like Anne would be nice oh my god no she'd drive me up the wall we, it, we really? would come to blows yeah it would be it would be hard but she could just like go outside right yeah she could go outside but <laughs> no I want someone who I can get into like the deeper darker mechanisms of the situation with mm. although having said that not too deep and dark like Heathcliff would also be the worst ever oh, no, he'd be, yeah he would be terrible what about you uh that's that's a really good list I would say I probably don't want to quarantine with most characters from fiction just that's a strong position to take <laughs> laying it out there <laughs> I think that's fair yeah well no except you know i think you can work it out with most people yeah sorry i've just wildly (laughs) (laughs) i mean the thing is i guess the question is like if you ended up quarantined with a character who's actually just drawn in a very two-dimensional way you wouldn't be able to work it out with them because they don't have the depth of character to be able to work anything out right like that's the thing with someone like mrs bennett you know um, yeah, but that's not a character we, with much depth. Are we making them into a real person? Or are they I think just you sort of have to take them as they're offered to you, you know? Yeah, like, how does that work for you? Do you do you take characters out of the When you take them out of the book, do you think they maintain their characterness? Do you add things to them? Do you adapt them for that's a really good question them in, in your life? I think inevitably I do end up... Um, molding them into something that fits my own need or whatever. Um, because, you know, also my memory is not super accurate. So I'm sure. And I guess if you, if you think about it in terms of psychology, like what, what is the work that these characters are doing for our own psyche and, and what are we excusing in ourselves by um, attaching to them? Or what are we searching for that we don't have that we find in them you know all of that that line of thinking so I think I do I do mangle them but I think also there is something about availability you have to to the fullness of a character that appeals in that way as in like you can take them at at the face value in which they're presented and so maybe there's something really appealing in actually uh kind of what's the word I'm looking for like ingesting a character without that much complexity and just having them in your mind because real people are so incredibly complex and changeable and you know exciting and also disappointing whereas when you have a character that's frozen in their presentation they can't really disappoint you if they haven't already in the book so you can keep them in your mind as this figure that is ultimately always uplifting or always good humored or do you you know what I mean yeah no I really I think that's a great answer and when I think about whether I encounter characters in my life, to go back to how you're speaking about Dylan Thomas, it's often just flickers of characters. And sometimes it's the two-dimensional characters 
that are most present um, in, you know, just something somebody says or the way somebody acts or a situation, you suddenly remember this one character who embodies those things, maybe in a more intense way than any real person ever would. Totally. Yeah. It's interesting. It's really interesting. I and also I think I think that you have a more complex relationship with this stuff than you than you think about yourself, you know? Like when we talk <laughs> about it, I'm just like, oh no, look, there's more there. There's more going on. Thank um, you, therapist Octavia. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure, Carrie, anytime. Hello, welcome back to Literary Friction. I'm Octavia Bright, here with Carrie Plitt, back to give you our cultural recommendations, which, you know, within this limited time of staying in, are going to be probably quite heavily television-focused, I would imagine, or screen-focused in one way or another. But um, we just wanted to give you a little minute of a shout-out for things that we've enjoyed lately that are not reading, um, especially because, as we have said over and over again, Reading is not the easiest pleasure to come by at the moment. So, my dear Carrie, tell me what, what's been good for you lately. Well, Octavia, you and the rest of the world were right. The Sopranos is a masterpiece. Yes, it is. Tell me everything. I'm so into it. I'm so into it. Um, so we're three episodes into the second season right now. I'm totally hooked. You were so right. I love because I did avoid it because I thought it was just like, about mobsters and it is about mobsters and that's a great part of the storyline but first of all there's this added layer that the mobsters in this show are so aware of the cultural products about mobsters that have come before them and so it's this strange commentary on life reflecting art and then art reflecting life and then life reflecting art back into itself and it's 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 really complex in this fascinating way but it's also thinks so deeply about well the therapeutic project of course about the psychology of violence and the way violence impacts someone's life and also the life of everyone around them it's about suburbia it's about the american family and it's also just incredibly funny and so quotable and i can see well i'm starting to hear all of the quotes that i've heard all of the people say that i didn't realize were Sopranos quotes so yeah I just I think it's really good and some of the violence is hard for me to watch I have to say but I don't think it's gratuitous so I'm going to keep watching it yeah the thing about the violence is when it it's clever because you're you're becoming very drawn to these characters and really starting to like them and then suddenly you're reminded that they spend their time doing these heinous things I mean I love um uh Carmela Tony Soprano's wife. Oh, yeah. Oh, she's yeah. just because she's such a good person. And yet, you know, she's complicit in these dreadful, dreadful things. And it's super complicated. I also um, just love her outfits. Honestly, the best 90s fashion heroine I can possibly imagine. Yeah, I saw you um, tweeting a photo of one of her outfits the other day. Listen, there is a great Instagram uh, account called something like Sopranos Outfits, and it just has all the best outfits from the Sopranos. I mean, I've gone deep. I've gone very deep into my love for this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for being one of the things that 
that finally pushed me into watching it because it's I'm, I'm so glad I did. Well, listen. How about you, Octavia? In kind, my first recommendation is one that you recommended um, to me so and to everyone on the show because it's called My Agent, which is this French show on Netflix. And I've now watched all three series that are available and I'm like desperate for the fourth one, which I'm very pleased to hear is actually finished. So hopefully it will be available soon. Um, but, you know, if you don't remember Carrie's recommendation, I can't remember when it was. It was a while ago. It's about an acting agency in Paris and all the agents who work there kind of represent a different approach. So there's this this older guy called Matthias who's like a dirty low down schemer and then there's Gabriel who's a sweet kind of bumbling guy who's all about the human connection with his clients and there's Andrea who's this like sexy Don Juan figure and she's super ambitious and very like voracious in her appetites and then there's Arlette who's been in the game forever and then they have this host of brilliant supporting characters which include endless cameos from the gold standard of French cinema who are just on the show sending themselves up in the most brilliant ways. Like Monica Bellucci is there and she can't get a date or like Beatrice Dahl is there and she's being um, taken for a ride by a director who wants her to be more sexually available than she's comfortable with or Juliette Binoche who has her own set of problems. And it's, yeah, it's, it's great. It's very, basically every episode is essentially a farce where some ridiculous disaster is about to happen and they all have to come together to stop it even though they're competition and blah, 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 blah. And there are moments where like it looks like it's going to take quite a dark turn and then everything resolves itself fine because it's a feel good show ultimately. But yeah, I've just been getting a kick out of being in Paris with them as well. That's great. Yeah, it's it's really great. And I, the Francophile in me relishes it. Yeah. Also, I like to pretend that my life as an agent is actually like that when it's <laughs> I am not mixing with Monica Belushi in my <laughs> daily job <laughs> um what else Carrie Pillett what else has been giving you some solace lately another thing that I've been watching on tv is the new season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine which definitely fits into my category of like feel-good workplace comedies that make me happy and that I watch like when I'm trying to get to sleep or cooking dinner or something but it's so great and I was a little bit worried about this season because they canceled the show on Fox in the U.S. and there was this uproar on the internet so much so that NBC picked it up and so it's gone to a different network and I thought oh is this going to mean that it just becomes this sort of husk of itself but actually I think this season is better than a few of the previous ones partially because when TV series go on for a long time, I think because the writers run out of things to happen in the place where the characters are, they keep taking them to different places and making like more and more ridiculous scenarios happen. And and I always resent that a little bit. And I think they started to do that on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but they've really come back to the precinct and to what is good about the show, which is all of these characters in a really amazing ensemble comedy cast just interacting with each other and like going about their daily lives and and doing their jobs and Andre Brower as Captain Holt just makes my life he's so deadpan and so funny and if you just want some like great escapist comedy with a joke a minute Brooklyn Nine-Nine is the place to go a joke a minute sounds great I've never watched it a joke a minute it's, well, I'd be interested. I'd be interested to know what you think. I think a lot of people find and- Andy Sandberg quite annoying, and he uh. is kind of annoying. But then that's kind of his character, and he becomes quite lovable. And I don't know. I'm just speaking of characters. I'm I'm very into these characters. So. Yeah. That's how about you? Hook. What else? I have been like 
uh, a lot of the people I see on the internet playing a computer game called Animal Crossing, which is, listen, I feel very complicatedly about it. <laughs> it's basically the premises that you um, you land on a desert island and you make this island brilliant. And over time, more characters come and live on your island and you can visit one another's islands and you can go to other islands and um, and uh, pick up resources like seeds and plants and you can plant amazing fruit trees and then you build houses and all this stuff. But the, the whole thing begins with you being in debt to this small raccoon and you have to pay off your debt for your plot of land and for your island. However, it's very easy to make money. So it's it's essentially like presenting a benevolent ideal of capitalism which is very fucking uh easy to lull yourself into and be like oh I mean I have to pay for things but also I can sell things and it's very easy to make money and so capitalism is actually quite a relaxed and easy situation to be in and I just I don't know how I feel about that being like a a message that um is is being propagated at the same time it's really amazing escapism because it is essentially a capitalist albeit a capitalist but it is a utopia and the other thing that's really nice about it is when other real people in reality are playing you can visit each other's islands so I've been hanging out with my friend Sophie in the virtual world when we can't hang out with each other in reality and there's been something quite kind of nurturing about that and also you get this illusion of complete control because you are designing this island and you are planting trees or digging them up again and you're you know building houses and all this stuff so in this time where there really is no sense of control and um you know we're completely at the mercy of government and all the rest it can appeal to the the miniature tyrant in you i suppose um <laughs> and uh yeah i saw on twitter yesterday elijah wood plays uh animal crossing and he visited this person's island because they had a good price for turnips and like the internet went mad so there's all you know there's opportunities for like <laughs> nice little stories like that but yeah I don't feel straightforwardly about it and I'm not someone who normally plays a lot of computer games and I have to say the experience of getting sucked into uh that mode of being it's very easy to lose hours to it and I always come out of it feeling a bit like I've been in under general anesthetic you know um and I think that's because of how I relate to those uh, that way of being I don't think it's how it is for everybody but I can get I get so laser focused and because it's such yeah. a screen a screen dominated experience do you know what I mean yeah I had no idea that's what Animal Crossing was I thought it was like animals crossing a street or something ah, no. I don't know how I, I mean like the that. other characters on the islands are all animals and it's very cute it's got like a very big yeah. kind of cute factor to it and I did not expect to like it but I, yeah, it's it's been really enjoyable, but it's also complex for me. I don't know. I got very into The Sims when I was a young teenager. So yeah. I definitely understand that. that I think it's similar. Being in control of a world and building your own world and yeah. creating something that is easy to create um, in the way, in the image in which you want to create it, as opposed to how the world actually works is right. incredibly gratifying sort it of is. instantly gratifying and it's also a reward structure is obviously set up by the game because they want you to keep playing so it's like any of these things it's the same as social media though you know the more you put in the more you get out basically um but if you're someone who has addictive tendencies as i do it's a very vulnerable position to be in you know because mm. i am the rat with the cocaine pressing the button again and again and again for more pleasure right so yeah, that's. I think that's where my complex relationship to it really lies. Is that I'm like I'm aware that this taps into some modes of being that aren't necessarily that healthy for me. You know. 
Okay, let's do let's do one more each. What's up next for you? The only other thing I wanted to talk about is uh, La Vida Nuova by Christine and the Queens, which is her new album. And it's just, it's incredibly emotional, but also very dancey. And I have been listening to it while running and it's just fabulous. The other thing I've been doing while running is not listening to anything at all and just listening to birdsong. And I would also recommend that. So those are the sounds that have been filling my life lately. How about you, Octavia? I mean, I'm going to echo a bit of a um, a plug for kind of silence and doing nothing. I've been doing quite a lot of sitting, sitting quietly, you know, and uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far to call it meditation, but it, it's been really a solace, actually, to just allow myself to do nothing. Like there's been so much amazing sounding cultural stuff available to stream and, and engage with. But actually, I just haven't been able to do it. It's irritating because I've wanted to. And people have been waxing lyrical about amazing dance and music and opera and, you know, oh God, the incredible videos of all those um orchestras coming together and playing from their rooms and things but I just for some reason I can't take it in so yeah uh, sitting sitting quietly listening to birdsong me too I've also actually have been listening to Esther Perel's uh, couples in isolation interviews which I'm finding also great fascinating um, sometimes really helpful <laughs> just you know comforting all the things I just I, I really really rate her I really like her voice so I'm happy to be in her kind of consciousness you know yeah, I know what you mean about not being able to consume any of that, like free streaming opera. Uh, I keep thinking about doing it and then I don't do it. And the only thing I've actually taken advantage of is my sister and I watched Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat when Andrew Lloyd Webber made it free. And it was so joyful. We were both in a production of it. And so we sang the whole way through And It was, I mean, if you have not watched that the, it's sort of like a video that they made of the stage adaptation with Donny Osmond and it's insane and it's somehow incredibly childish but also incredibly horny like the outfits ah! are wild wild Octavia the Potiphar wife scene is is just beggar's belief so if you want like an hour and a half of fun go watch Joseph I want it. I want an hour and a half of fun. That sounds amazing. Also, I'm sorry, but the thought of you and your sister like transatlantically singing along together in real time is just too much for my brain. It's so great. It transported me. That's all the time we have for today. Big thanks to Eddie Knight for editing and music and to the internet for supporting us in this long distance endeavor. Literary Friction is available as a podcast to download on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and to stream on nts.live. You can check us out on Twitter and Instagram. You can also get in touch with us on email, litfriction at gmail.com. Please do. We really love to hear from you. We'll be back in two weeks with author Garth Greenwell, who's joining us via the internet to talk about his latest novel, Cleanness, which we're very excited about. Until then, I'm Octavia Bright here with Carrie Plitt, and this is Literary Friction. Literary Friction.